Good morning, listeners. This is Susan Yu, a forum for exploring issues impacting our lives here in Mendocino County. I am your host, Dan Jurdy, this being the first Wednesday of the month. On the third Wednesday of the month, Mari Roden is your host. This morning, we are looking into an issue that affects all of us, housing. Why is housing so expensive? Can anything be done so more people can afford a place they can be proud to call home? To help us probe the issue around housing, I've invited two special guests. Our One guest helps to implement housing and economic policies for one of our cities. The other guest is a retired business owner who volunteers her time advocating for policies that could create new opportunities to rent or own a home. From the city of Ukiah, we are talking with Craig Schlotter. Craig is the city of Ukiah's director of community development. He's held that position since 2017. In the 10 years prior to joining the city, Craig worked for the Community Development Commission of Mendocino County, specializing in housing and community development planning and programming. Craig holds a master's de- degree in economics from Illinois State University, where he, where he served as a fellow with the Stevenson Center for Community and Economic Development and focused in housing and community and economic development research. He lives in Ukiah with his wife, Monica, and their dog, Winston. Craig, thank you for joining us. Nice to be here, Dan. Okay, thanks. Um, from the Mendocino Coast, we are talking with Joanna Jensen. Joanna f- first fell in love with the Mendocino Coast in 1980 when she took a class at the Mendocino Art Center. But after graduation from Sonoma State University, Joanna went on to work for a startup software company that grew and moved from the Bay Area to the Midwest. Years later, Joanna and her husband moved back to Fort Bragg and they started a business that many of us love, Cowlick's Ice Cream. Besides building a successful business, Joanna spent the next 14 years helping to market Fort Bragg on the city's promotion committee, working with the city's community development and economic development committees. After selling the ice cream business, Joanna began to focus on an issue affecting all of us, uh, the lack of housing affordable to people in the local workforce. Uh, Joanna started to volunteer her time with a community group called the Housing Action Team of the North Coast, HAT. Joanna, thank you for joining us. Well, thank you, Dan. I'm very excited to be here. Yeah. So let's just sort of give the listeners a little bit of background on, on as to why housing seems to be less affordable here in California, here in Mendocino County, than, than would be reasonable given people's budgets. Well, one of the things that, um, if I can jump in here a little bit, um, Doing some research for the group that I work with for the Housing Action Team, or HAT, um, we started looking at um, what what the salaries are that people make here and um, what the cost of housing is. And one of the things we found out is that that the most recent stats for the uh, average uh, household income for a family of four in Mendocino County is $70,000. And so... Using the guideline that has become the standard, which is 30% of your income should go towards housing, that means that that family should be able to buy a house that costs uh, $362,000 approximately. And, and we all know that there is no house in Mendocino County available for $362,000. Exactly. And so looking last July, and it's probably gone up since then, the average uh, uh, price of a house on the Mendocino coast was $680,000. 
So not quite double, but almost. And it's probably more than that now. And it's even worse for renters because um, the average median income for one person in the county is $24,000 or $2,000 a month. And so that means that they should be able to pay $624 in rent, which means they can afford nothing, not even a studio in in the county. So it's just, what do they do? What does a single person do? It, it's just, that's, that's the affordability problem. These salaries just don't match what housing costs here. And so, uh, Joanna and Craig, so just say one of our listeners might be someone who owns a home, they're maybe retired. Why might, why, how does this affect them, this lack of affordability for people who are in the workforce? Well, do you want to answer that, Craig, or do you want me to? Go go ahead, Joanna. Come in in a second. Well, you know, it seems like, well, why does that matter to me? Because, you know, I, you know, I can afford to live here and I've got enough income. Well, it matters when we can't find employees here, that we're not, the employers aren't able to hire people to work in the restaurants or the stores or sometimes even to work at the hospitals because it's not just affordability, it's also availability. There's in the rental market, there's 1% vacancy rate. <laughs> and so it's just, it's not only, even if you could afford it, you can't find one. And so what happens is then the employers um, end up having problems staffing at all levels, um, but especially at some of the lower income levels. We did a, a housing survey for the a survey for employers and employees to find out the impact of um, the housing shortage and what it's having on both employers and employees. And some of their results were um, pretty, pretty uh, shocking. Well, I'll just jump in um, here on uh, some of the points that Joanna raised. And I think really she she did a good job of framing uh, what this issue is all about. When we think about housing, it really is a puzzle. And you can't say that you need one type of housing for one type of income only. It really takes a variety of different housing types and a variety of different incomes uh, to make the puzzle really fit together. Uh, You know, and really what we're looking at here in Mendocino County Uh, is a supply and demand issue and a very simplistic way of looking at this. Um, And until we either see a significant increase in supply or we see reduced demand, that price is the the median price will continually seek out an equilibrium that will likely mean increased prices uh, in the short and potentially the intermediate term. Um, Now, you know, we think about, okay, what can we do about that? And I'm looking very big picture you know, you could think about, well, demand uh, really, unless you have something significant like increased interest rates, it's going to be very difficult to control or influence demand. Um, but supply, and I think that's probably what we'll be talking about um, on the majority of our show today, Dan, is, you know, supply is something that, at least for local governments, we can assist with. Uh, we can't build the actual units, but we can um, deploy tools that can assist with this this issue. Okay, um, and uh, 
Joanna, do you want to go into a little more about um, the survey of employees and employers that the Coast Hat Group, the Housing Action Team, um, conducted on the Mendocino Coast? I do because it was really it was really um, telling what we learned, and we'd all been hearing stories about uh, how employers aren't able to fill positions because there's nowhere for people they want to hire to live. And then we we're also seeing a lot of social media posts about workers desperate for housing. So, so had decided we really wanted to either confirm this or deny some of these anecdotal stories. Um, and we thought that the best way to do that would be to ask the two uh, groups involved. So we created two surveys, one for employers and one for employees. And we wanted to find out if, you know, the shortage is keeping employers from hiring people and what, you know, housing is like for employees. And then we really wanted to hear from them some suggestions on how we improve the situation. It's not just is there a problem, but what can, what would they like us to do about it? And we really got a good response. We got uh, 72 employers uh, from a range of sizes and kinds of employers. Uh, most of them had 10 or fewer employees, but others ranged from 11 employees to more than 50. And mostly they were locally owned businesses, as you would expect, but there were also replies from nonprofits, government and public agencies and healthcare. And then the employees, there were 166 responses and they were all ages and job responsibilities. Uh, half were 18 to 45 and the other half were 45 to 65 and older. Then about a third of the employees made between five and $25,000, third made 26 to 50,000, and a third made 51 to more than 76,000. And in our reports, about four bullet point paragraphs, uh, pages of information, four pages. So um, we're not going to be able to cover everything, but I did pull out a couple of things that I was sort of um, either surprised by or I thought was really compelling. And the first one is that we need small houses, that uh, two thirds of the employees said that they want to live in a house, but they want one with zero, you know, like a studio, one or two bedrooms. And we thought, well, that's weird. Why, why, is, why is that? And it made sense when we compared it to another question we had, which is how many people live in the house. And we found out most of our respondents have just one or two adults living in the house with no kids. So you really, it's kind of back to what Craig says. It's not one size fits all. Every, it really depends on the population that's looking for the kind of housing. And we did confirm that uh, employee recruitment and retention issues are real. Two-thirds of the employers said housing was unavailable, unaffordable, or didn't work for the employee's family, or was sold out from under them. One of, one of them even said that they went out of business because they couldn't keep employees. And, and I think it's also, while I'm talking about a comment, I don't know how many of you have done surveys, but it's really unusual to get people to write in comments. Usually <laughs> that's the thing they skip. It's a yes, no, you know, one to four question. These surveys were full of comments. People had so much that they wanted to say and to share. So one of the 
the things the report does is share a lot of the comments we got from people because they were they were really compelling. Um, and then we also learned that housing is such a problem that three quarters of the employees said it was either their top priority or in the top three. And we were we were pleased to see that uh, two thirds of the employers said that they think employers can do more to advocate for to be advocates for affordable housing. Half of them had ideas for creating workforce housing and. They offered a lot of solutions, uh, including restricting vacation rentals, tax incentives for long-term rentals, uh, zoning to increase density, incentives for ADUs. I like this one. I thought it was interesting. Allowing employers to offer free or low-cost on-site housing, um, applying for federal funds, um, and identifying underutilized parcels that could support workforce housing. And I think this is the most important thing because you hardly ever get a 100% response on something. There was almost 100% of the employers favored securing grants and changing policies and zoning to create more workforce housing. 87% of them said that should be the local government's top priority or one of the top three. And, um, and again, they were generous with suggestions about what they'd like to see them, the governments do. So, so Joanna, thank you for summarizing that extensive survey. And um, is that survey, are the results available online for people to see? They are, yes. We just posted them on our website, which is patmendocoast.org. We've also shared the results on our Facebook page. Same thing, Pat Mendo Coast, and um, and posted them on the fourth and fifth district Facebook pages. Okay. We'll, uh, we're also we've submitted it to um, a couple of the publications, and hopefully, we'll get some hard copy printing on that too. I, I just wanted to wrap up though by saying we did we did have some recommendations. And um, the main thing we really learned is that the employers and the employees both want action. They, they're just not okay with the government waiting for free market to take care of the shortage. That just isn't working. So we feel like, you know, the research has been done, workable solutions have been provided. Um, we know there are federal and state funding opportunities the city and county can secure. So what's missing, it's, it's just action from, you know, we're focused on the coast. So we're looking at the city of Fort Bragg and Mendocino County. And we just really want all levels of the government to collaborate and, you know, and agree on what the opportunities are and then act collectively to go after them and implement some of the solutions. So, Craig, um, do those survey results and comments sound familiar, and do they resonate with what you're seeing in, in the city of Ukiah? Uh, they do, Dan. And um, actually, the city of Ukiah had done our own survey in 2017-18 after uh, the city council had adopted the city's first housing strategy. We found similar t results to uh, what Joanna and the HAT uh, group's survey found we probably didn't have as many responses as they did, um, but very, very similar uh, 
uh, reactions from the community. And, and our, our survey was for residents of Ukiah. Um, I think also that, you know, with that data, if we're, if we're looking at what are the takeaways of, of a lot of what Joanna was saying, um, you know, it really points to uh, an affordable issue, affordability issue, as she mentioned, and lack of, of housing and, and regional collaboration. Those are some, some big takeaways I heard. Um, and, and we totally agree uh, here at the city and, and we think there, there does need to be more regional collaboration. I have an idea that I'll uh, mention later on or I can mention it now um, about how uh, local governments could more effectively collaborate. Um, but I'll leave that to you, Dan. Go ahead, Craig. Sure. Uh, so it's it's something we've actually um, mentioned uh, in some of our, our meetings with uh, Mendocino County and other uh, uh, cities within Mendocino County in, in the past, and it's pursuit of a regional housing plan. And why do we need a regional housing plan? Well, really, Joanna uh, framed it up very nicely for us. There are a lot of really innovative ideas and tools that uh, cities and Mendocino County are developing, but these are being done um, on a jurisdictional kind of um, introspective uh, uh, basis. And really what, what we need is uh, more of a regional collaborative approach. You know, when we, when we think again about, and, and I'm, you know, you, you heard from my bio that I'm a trained economist, but I'm a practicing planner. So I, I tend to look at things uh, from a macroeconomic perspective, as well as the microeconomic, more a tools-based uh, perspective. On, on a big picture macroeconomic perspective, we have strong demand for, for housing. That's obvious. Uh, we have um, very limited supply. We have housing that's being built, uh, infill housing, um, but the housing that's being built that's not infill housing is haphazard. We have to watch for that because you know, the market will continue to uh, you know, make it favorable to develop housing wherever housing may be developed. But if we don't do that in a coordinated way, it can lead to sprawl um, and really kind of a, um, a reduction of uh, the values or the identification of our communities that I think uh, in Joanna's bio, she mentioned was very important. You know, people love, uh, myself included, uh, love living in Mendocino County. And how do we retain, uh, you know, looking ahead 20, 30, 40 years, how do we retain that, that same community identity while still also developing housing that's sorely needed? Um, so what would this look like? Uh, we need to site housing near infrastructure and services. Uh, we need support and coordination of annexation applications that cities will submit uh, to ensure that the housing is provided in a way that's sustainable. Um, we, uh, and I should mention actually for affordable housing applications, it's usually a major point score if you have good proximity to services. Uh, um, it's very important that uh, lower income people have uh, adequate access to uh, services. Also very important when we start to talk about wildfire protection, which is really a concern, as we all know, here in inland Mendocino County. Um, we have, if you've, you've both heard probably the WUI, the Wildland Urban Interface. And this, you know, again, 
housing that's developed right on the fringes of cities, if not done with intention and regional collaboration and coordination, it can lead to increased danger uh, and risk uh, related to wildfire. Um, and of course, we're still is on all of our memories, the, the major wildfires we had in, a few years ago. Um, and again, I, I want to kind of finalize this thought here, but in saying, and this is something I um, not only believe professionally, but personally, you know, we have these, these big issues that might be facing our communities. And it's always, uh, we, we want to do something. We want to act right away. As we do that, though, and I think uh, Joanna also said it best, we need to be very intentional and so we're and realistic, so we're able to achieve the vision that we set forward. Uh, that way we have uh, 20, 30, 40 years from now, not just right now, we have housing that uh, is sustainable for our communities and still reflects the values that we have um, here locally. So, Craig, one one item you talked about a little bit was um, infill housing, and that's an issue that all the cities and the county have have looked at. And one tool to have infill housing is accessory dwelling units, sometimes called granny units. They're a secondary house on the property to the primary house, and all of the cities in Mendocino County and the and the county itself. Um, have of course allowances for that and now in fact it's a state law but the, we already allowed it before the state uh, mandated that and there are new incentives um, that all the cities in the county have adopted um, including uh, the county of Mendocino now has two different house plans that are engineered pre-approved by the building department um, and available to any county resident um, the city of Fort Bragg has had a series of plans dating back as far as 2009 uh, for uh, second units. And I, I understand that the city of Ukiah also now has uh, free house plans. They, they could actually be someone's primary residence if they want them to be. But they're, could you talk a little bit about those free plans? Uh, yeah, certainly. And uh, we can credit the city of Fort Bragg for, um, you know, really developing these first plans and, and starting this movement. Um, I think they did it first and then Mendocino County followed. Uh, and then we saw it and received a grant from the state to, um, and we were the, the last to have it. But yeah, we, we just made three sets of uh, stamped uh, engineered uh, uh, plans that will be available at no cost to the public. Uh, those will be on our website either, uh, I believe either this week, they're either on there right now um, or they'll be on there shortly. Um, and so that way, the idea of course, is that it reduces the cost to um, the applicant in, in building housing, building an ADU, which can be expensive for the architectural and engineering uh, costs. Uh, it also can be time consuming um, to uh, go through the building permit process. So this gets them that much closer to developing ADUs. And I think all of us in this meeting would like to see um, the plans that the city of Ukiah has, the, the different plans that the city county has and the city of Fort Bragg have. Ideally, we would like to see all those plans available to all county residents, regardless of where they happen to live. Um, Joanna, do you have something to add on this? Yeah, I do. Um, the Housing Action Team really got involved with the whole ADU right at the beginning. We held two workshops, one for how to develop an ADU within the city of Fort Bragg, and it was 
standing room only at the at, uh, town hall. But then we did another one that was for developing ADUs in the unincorporated area of the coast. And that was before uh, the permission from the uh, Coastal Commission was um, in place. And so now it's possible to build ADUs even in the coastal zone. So those are great. But one of the things we're really finding out is there are barriers to building the, those ADUs because they're, by the time you look at the construction cost, preparing the site and then either building the structure or buying one and having it brought in, it's, it's often difficult to rent that for anything other than a vacation rental, which we strongly discourage, um, but to rent it permanently for the price that you paid for it. So we've been looking at, well, how do we get around that barrier? How do we overcome the, the construction cost? And, and we have a couple of uh, sort of creative thoughts about that. One is that um, if people could, either in the city or in the unincorporated areas of the county, prepare a spot on their land that has um, access to uh, water, sewer. Um, in, this, in the unincorporated areas, they'd have to have a septic system, which really, you know, in the big scheme of things is for, a, for an ADU could be as little as $5,000, maybe 10. But anyway, they, if they could prepare a spot on their land where an owner of a tiny home on wheels could come in and rent that space, then the cost of developing this additional living area is split between the homeowner and the person who needs a place to live. They buy the, their own tiny home and then they rent a space from either a person in the city or in, in a rural area. And, and our survey shows that there was a demand for this, that about a third of the respondents would like to live in a tiny home. And if they had a preference, they would live um, in a, on a rural spot. And so, so the idea that just the homeowner doesn't have to incur the whole cost. And also homeowners don't necessarily want to be landlords. They don't, they worry about damage to a building that they have created and so then this gets them out of the business of having to worry about their structure itself and how it's taken care of so so we think that that could be that could be one way of um you know spreading the cost of the adus out and it's not permitted now but we sure would like to see it be something that was allowed and i understand there's design standards you have to make sure that it doesn't look like somebody just parked a uh trailer in your front yard you know maybe you know some skirting around it and decking and things that make it look like it's part of the the environment so it looks like it belongs but it still is at least one thing that we should think about the other thing is this new law oh wait before i forget there's also a grant out there that um you can get twenty five thousand dollars in pre-development costs if you are building an adu uh, I, Dan told me about a podcast and I, I listened to it and they were talking about this grant. If you make 80% of the average median income, you're eligible for a grant, 
$25,000 grant, not a loan, free money, to do the pre-development cost so that you can um, put an ADU on your property. So that's another way to defer the barrier, uh, get around the barrier of the cost. And finally, there's this law that just was passed, the um, SB9, it's called the Home uh, Law. It, it is allowing um, residents in more dense areas, and Fort Bragg qualifies, to make it easier to split their land and sell a portion to somebody who would like to build on it. So this is that infill development we were talking about. And so I could take my city lot, divide it, sell half of it to somebody else who wants to use one of your small your small home plans and build their own home. And this was also something that was attractive to the people who replied to the the uh, surveys we did. Well, thank you, Joanna. And I do want to remind listeners, we are on, uh, this is KZUX, Philo 90.7 FM, KZUX Z, Willits and Ukiah 91.5 FM, and Fort Bragg at 88.1 FM. Um, we also stream live at KZUX.org. This is Mendocino County Public Broadcasting, listener-supported community radio. And you are listening to Citizen U, um, and uh, we have two special guests today. Um, one is um, Joanna Jensen from a, a retired business owner on the Mendocino Coast who is volunteering her time advocating for policies that would um, enable more people to rent or own a home. And uh, Craig Schlatter, the Community Development Director for the City of Ukiah, who works on economic and housing issues, uh, among others, <laughs> for the City of Ukiah. And um, uh, so, Joanna, what, you're, what you were just going through were some some of the ideas that the Coast Housing Group is advocating for some changes at city and or county policies. Um, just as an update, the, the county of Mendocino um, is in the process of, of doing an update of its land use ordinance. Um, we have a consultant working with the planning department. Um, the general purpose of it is not a wholesale rewriting of it, but maybe, but principally, it trying to make the the ordinance more coherent and easy to follow for members of the public um, and staff. Um, and uh, but but there will be some opportunities to make some policy changes in that update. Um, we also um, the I've got to say during the nine years I've been on the board of supervisors, I've. I've seen interest on the board in housing issues, but I've seen more interest by the current board than I've ever seen. And, you know, maybe some of that has to do with the fact that some of us are recent homeowners and understand how expensive the housing market is in Mendocino County. Um, but uh, uh, so we have um, uh, some good news on our staffing front, our planning department, which uh, like a lot of county departments is is understaffed. Um, uh, f- we'll soon have a, a planner um, principally dedicated to housing issues. Um, so his name's Rob S- S- Fitzsimmons. And um, so I'm hoping, um, I'm, I'm sure he'll be working with Craig and his staff at the city of Ukiah and uh, city of Fort Bragg, city of Willits. Um, on, on that front, um, Craig, I, I know that, that the city's planning directors like yourself um, meet with the other planning directors and and do try to coordinate um, ideas, share ideas, best practices. Um, what are some of the things that you, that you discuss in those meetings? And do you have any um, anything to let the audience know about? Yeah, I, I sure do. Um, and actually, I, I appreciated the prep that I, I did for this interview because it 
afforded me the opportunity to reach out again to uh, various colleagues around uh, the county, uh, one of whom was uh, Sarah McCormick in the city of Fort Bragg. And I, I learned that the city is, uh, and this is actually very similar to what Joanna was just talking about that the uh, Mendocino hat is, is interested in. It sounds like the city of Fort Bragg is incubating a standalone charitable 501c3 organization for uh, creating home ownership opportunities um, and that this is going to be based on the community land trust model where um, you know the the uh, 501c3 usually would own the land and then sell the houses to uh, residents so I thought that was really interesting and I I wished her all uh, all the luck and success for that program. We'll be watching that to see how how that goes. Um, from the city of Ukiah, uh, uh, may, maybe I, I think uh, Dan, you know, uh, but for our listeners uh, out there, since uh, approximately 2016-17, Ukiah City Council has been very much focused on. Uh, creation of new innovations to uh, address the housing issue. Um, for the first time, and, and this happened in 2017, the council adopted a housing strategy. Um, it put uh, forward a two-pronged approach to dealing with housing, uh, addressing this issue and creating more opportunities. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, one part of it was to create a housing trust fund uh, for provision of um, funding to affordable housing. The other was to look for ways to streamline our zoning code for regulatory relief, uh, because um, if, if folks don't know, there really is no funding sources for market rate um, of uh, middle income or workforce housing. Uh, so what you have to look at is, okay, how can we make it easier for developers to develop? And uh, you know, jo Joanna really provided a lot of data here today. One piece of information she provided is that our median income in Mendocino County is relatively low. Um, so how are we going to attract developers um, up to this area or how do we organically um, train and, and, and build on our grassroots developers to give them the tools they need to be successful in developing housing? Because it, it does have to uh, pencil for them from you know profit and loss standpoint. And it is very expensive to build up here. Uh, some of the things that we most enjoy about living in California are environmental protections. Um, you know, the regulations that are inherent in developing uh, all make it very desirable to live here. However, it also makes it very expensive to develop. And, you know, certainly other factors like the pandemic and the supply side issues and uh, construction materials costs, that doesn't help. Um, so what we've been doing in Ukiah really for the last five years, it started with the uh, housing strategy uh, and continued into our housing element. We, we redesigned um, really from the ground up our housing element and made it into what it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be a housing plan. Uh, housing elements, uh, when they were first created, I think in the 60s, uh, that was their design. Uh, and I always uh, say, like, we really, from a planning perspective, we can't look at these documents. I know actually uh, second district supervisor um, Mulhern has, when she was council member, agreed with me on this. Uh, we can't look at these long-term planning documents as to-dos or just another plan to sit on the shelf. We actually have to make them realistic, implementable, and then get the work done 
to deliver what the community and our decision makers are wanting to see. Um, so we've been very intentional over the last four to five years in these efforts. We, um, in the last five years alone, approximately 200 units have been built in Ukiah, uh, including one just finishing up um, last month, Ukiah Senior Apartments um, near the Rite Aid, uh, 31 units of senior housing that the city sponsored an application for funding. Um, we adopted an ordinance last year uh, to streamline residential housing development in all of our zoning districts. So all you need now is a building permit if you wanna do multifamily housing, uh, provided that you meet objective standards for development. Um, and again, this is to reduce uncertainty for developers and it's to save them time and money so we can get them more quickly to a yes on uh, building these developments. We've also um, adopted an ordinance allowing flexible parking uh, for new residential construction so we don't overpark. Uh, we don't have too much um, parking lot space and not enough rental housing or uh, new housing construction. We adopted an ordinance establishing a housing overlay zone. Um, and this facilitated affordable housing construction on two underutilized vacant parcels. I think we're gonna probably have about 60 or 70 units there that's actually a mixed use development too. So kind of an innovative project. Um, and then we, you know, we have the ADU building plans that uh, we mentioned earlier. Uh, we have more in the pipeline. We've, we've uh, applied for all the money that the state has made available to accelerate these types of programs. And we have uh, two or three of us uh, working um, on each of these, these plans because not only um, that, uh, you know, the council has directed this, but because it is a priority and we've continually heard that in our community. So, Craig, you talked a little bit about um, developer incentives, um, whether it's a developer of one single lot or or um, a bigger parcel or multiple parcels. Um, could you just give us some examples? I mean, my understanding is, um, say, from the city of Fort Bragg zoning code, and, and I suspect most other zoning codes, there are incentives built into them if someone is building um, smaller units sometimes or if they're building um, units that are dedicated to being affordable. Um, so Fort Bragg's got kind of a matrix of choices that people can pick from. They can pick a few incentives that are most valuable to that project in that site uh, um, if they're meeting these objectives of the city. Is that something that the city of Ukiah has developed as well? And is that pretty common now? Um, well, so there, there are incentives that are common, such as, you know, for affordable housing, the density bonus has long been an incentive that is utilized. What is less common, um, but the state is now, uh, there's a few uh, communities like actually Ukiah that have um, spearheaded this. I think they're getting very excited about this and they'd like to see more of it. What we're talking about is not requiring a discretionary permit. Uh, for any housing construction, uh, especially for affordable housing. And that's a significant change um, that, that it, you know, again, I think that you're gonna, we're gonna see more of this in the future, um, but uh, it's still relatively a new concept. So for example, um, most cities and counties in California have a requirement that when there's a major subdivision, which is usually defined as five parcels or more, um, that that or five units or more that there are um, a, some requirement for a percentage of them to be affordable to lower medium income um, residents. 
Um, I think the stand, I think the common standard would be about 15%, um, 10%, somewhere in that range. Um, the city of Fort Bragg is 15%. Uh, the county of Mendocino, um, some, over a decade ago, adopted 25% as the standard. Um, but what we've also seen is that nobody's built any housing, any affordable units under that 25% threshold. They've come in with subdivisions or or projects that are below the threshold that triggers that. And they've pretty consistently said that the 25% requirement is abnormal, abnormally high and, and too expensive for them to, to take it on. And um, uh, so one of the things that the county is going to consider is is changing that to 15%, the, which seems to be the more standard requirement, but also looking at um, offering, um, like the city of Fort Bragg does, some specific examples about how they can achieve that. Um, our ordinance um, does, says you can propose substitutions, but it doesn't give any examples, which, again, one of the things we often hear is that people are looking for certainty or <laughs> before, because there's so many months and years in the planning stages that they don't want, they can't just invest unlimited staff resources and, and financing for a project before they even get approval. And so the city of Fort Bragg, for example, um, it's, it's either 15% that meet the state's definition of affordable housing, or alternately, in Fort Bragg, you can build two accessory dwelling units for each what would otherwise be a meet the state definition of affordable housing. And the theory behind that is, is that a, a secondary unit um, an accessory dwelling unit being fairly small is inherently going to be fairly affordable and that that might be um, more attractive to a developer to build multiple um, accessory dwelling units within the development um, and that you're actually doubling the number of units being produced um, that would meet generally that that objective of affordable kind of workforce housing. So anyway, so that's just an example that the city of Fort Bragg has and um, and I know, again, the county is going to be revisiting its inclusionary housing ordinance as part of its strategy to try to create more housing of all types in the county. Yeah, can I jump in on that, that really quick, Dan? Um, because this is um, actually a point that I've spoken with our council about uh, quite a bit as well. And I recommended uh, with our last, last uh, housing element update that we uh, move away from the inclusionary housing ordinance. And I'll tell you why. Uh, this is a very effective tool if there is demand for market rate development that's significant in an area. When there's no market or not significant market demand, unfortunately, what inclusionary housing ordinances can do is act as one more barrier to producing market rate housing. Um, in, in cities like Hillsburg or Bay Area cities like Pleasanton and some of those other uh, higher income areas, there is significant market demand. And so the only way you can get affordable housing is, or, or one of the only ways you can get affordable housing is to have an inclusionary ordinance. Um, and those can be very effective. When you don't have, and, and this gets back to something I mentioned earlier, and it's something we're working on right now. How do we attract or grow uh, how do we attract developers to our area or we grow our existing pool of grassroots developers so people want to develop in this region? If we can increase that demand for the developer from the developer community, we can start to achieve some of the visions that we have for our communities. 
Um, there's this really famous quote, uh, it's probably not, it's only famous in planning areas, but uh, that you can't have high quality zoning without market demand for, for development. Um, meaning that you can't really realize the vision you have for the design and aesthetic character of your community unless you have strong demand from developers that want to build there. And I think that's something we really want to, we, we really need to look at um, in the short term here is how do we increase those pools? I, I know, I know, Dan, you want to go to the phones, uh, but I just want to point out that at least on the coast, maybe it's not as big an issue inland, but we need to make sure that the new housing that's being developed isn't being allowed to be used for uh, short-term vacation rentals. So uh, I don't know how much time we'll have to talk about that, but that's a huge problem here on the coast. Uh, at least 4% of our housing is... Um, it is used for vacation rentals, and I think that that's um, something that we're looking to the county to um, help us uh, overcome that barrier to availability and, and raising prices. Well, Joanna, I think we both know people on the coast who've who've relocated from the house they were living in um, because that house converted into a vacation rental. And the, it's true, the county of Mendocino um, does not currently have any regulations or standards for vacation rentals um, that, you know, caps the number or or even um, has a revocable permit if if um, the operator is um, creating a disturbance in the neighborhood. And the city of Fort Bragg, um, since the early 1990s, has prohibited vacation rentals um, in the residentially zoned neighborhoods. So um, it, it, Fort Bragg almost becomes this one little island on the Mendocino Coast where people can live without fear that their rental will become a vacation rental. But um, over the years, it's really created a, it's contributed to the housing issue on problem affordability on the coast. Um, I do want to remind, let listeners know that um, the phone in line here is 707-895-2448. And we will take phone calls. Again, you are listening to KZUX Philo 90.7 FM. KZUX and Z, Willits and Ukiah 91.5, and Fort Bragg at 88.1 FM. This is Mendocino County Public Broadcasting, listener-supported community radio, and you are listening to Citizen U. I'm your host, Dan Jurdy, for today's show, and we have Craig Schlatter of City of Ukiah and um, Joanna Jensen from the Coast Housing Action Team. And it looks like we have our first call. Uh, listener, you are on the air. Hi, um, I'm calling to uh, uh, ask a question about uh, housing, and I'm hoping that uh, I can... Go ahead, you're on the air. Yeah. Um, the uh, The question I have is, I, I lived for a number of years in Davis, California, and uh, uh, there was a developer there by the name of Mike Corbett who developed a, a very unique... Uh, housing uh, program called Village Homes. Um, and Davis had some of the same problems that you're talking about at that time, uh, talking about ha uh, Mendocino County having in that, uh, that the low income and affordable housing was being priced out of the market uh, because of the demand uh, for people who wanted to live in Davis and commute over to Sacramento. Um, <clears throat> and so what Mike Corbett did was he got together with the city council and uh, developed a, uh, 
a unique uh, housing uh, development uh, of about 50 units at the time um, that uh, maximized the use of uh, alternative energy. And I, I want to say this was back in the early 1970s before a lot of people were really talking about alternative energy. But it also, uh, you know, cut down on the amount of uh, roads in the subdivision um, and used bike paths as an alternative. They had open natural drainage um, rather than uh, having to develop uh, sewer systems uh, or storm drainage systems and uh, encouraged uh, percolation. Uh, most of the houses were, were developed with uh, passive solar heating systems, uh, high mass systems, um, and uh, they became very marketable um, uh, homes in, in the uh, Davis area for people who lived and worked for the university there uh, and for the city. And so I, I keep wondering, why is it that local government here in Mendocino County hasn't reached out uh, and developed a cadre of developers, uh, local developers, who are willing to dedicate themselves to uh, building the kind of housing that the communities want? And um, I don't see that happening. I mean, I, it's almost an adversarial system. So if, if any of that makes sense, I hope it does. Uh, I'd love to hear uh, your thoughts on that. I think it's an excellent suggestion. I think all all of us on the show are familiar with village homes. It, it, it this, for listeners who aren't familiar, um, they're relatively modest in size. They're not large homes, and um, but it is. It's almost like they're facing onto a. a common area parkway and um so it does create this sort of sense of greenness and and commonality where people kind of face each other um and it's almost like the back of their house is the alley that the that's is their service area for their vehicles um uh so i don't know craig or joanna joanna you've worked with businesses on the messino coast for many years um i know that this is one issue that the coast housing action team has talked about is how do we engage the contractors in our community, um, we know they're very busy. Um, they have all the work that they can handle right now. The ones I'm familiar with are, are all fairly small businesses. And, you know, they, they you know, I, I don't even know if they have in many cases like an administrative office staff. I think in most cases they're, you know, dealing, dealing directly with customers, doing the booking with their um, bookkeeping with Excel at the evening. And um, so uh, any thoughts, Craig or, or Joanna, about how we would engage and, and help build up those small businesses? Well, I would like to second something that Craig said, and I think that there's a need to develop our own staff of a group of developers so that um, there are, people need jobs here on the coast. And there's such a demand for people in the construction trades. If we could have some way to uh, subsidized schools that could teach people how to do these developments and whether it's carpentry or plumbing or electricians or and then as a, in return for some of the education they got they could be participants in building uh, housing that the community needs i think that would be a great way to go because then we've done two things we've provided um job training and we have also provided um housing yeah, I, I agree with that, and um, I think also there are funding sources. Um, CDBG or Community Development Block Grant comes to mind for providing lower interest loans to contractors uh, in particular 
to help develop their skills and expand their businesses so they can take on more work. You know, I, I totally agree with the, the caller um, that we need to be more active in reaching out to our developer and build, build our community. Uh, City of Kai right now is developing a toolkit that we can hand out at the counter that says, here's how you get to yes. Uh, and we've really done a kind of a 180 on customer service within the last four to five years to, to really say, okay, you want to build here, how do we get you to build something? Instead of here's what the code says and really having, you know, kind of the, the experience that I, I think people are more familiar with, with, with dealing with local government, with planning and building, we really need to be more partners in, in how uh, we address this issue instead of, as, as I think both of you have said, you know, more adversarial. Okay, thank you, uh, Joanne and Craig. And we have another listener on the uh, show. Listener, you are on the air. Hello there. Um, let me turn this off. I'm calling you from Anderson Valley. Thank you for the show. And I have a question about zoning for ag. Out in Anderson Valley, whenever there's a property that seems like it could handle multifamily uh, development, it is zoned for ag, and that's off the table for housing. So um, could you address how you might be able to keep uh, the, the sustainable housing that reflects the community values while at the same time it could be that Anderson Valley needs uh, workforce housing more than another vineyard. So thank you for the call. Um, the county housing, um, or I should say zoning update that I was discussing earlier um, is intended principally to make the zoning code more um, simple to read and understand and follow. Um, but every 20 or so years, cities and counties also update their um, general plan, which is the underlying zoning for areas and, and what's allowed in uh, in different zoning districts. Um, that isn't planned just yet. We're probably, the county's probably five years away from undertaking that big project. Um, but in the meantime, I know that the, the community services district in the, in Anderson Valley, uh, is, is pursuing grants to, um, and, and siting of a project that would enable them to create, um, better infrastructure support for downtown, um, Boonville. Um, if that were to be successful, then then they would have the ability to have more infill development in in Boonville. But um, that uh, you know, I'm not too familiar with what's happening in Anderson Valley. It's not part of my supervisor district, but um, that that's some basics. Uh, we do have another phone call. Okay, caller, you're on the air. Hello, me. Yeah, you're on the air. Okay, perfect. Thank you for the show. I appreciate it. I just want to touch bases with you about. Um, the cost of getting permits and whatnot in Mendocino County. I've been a contractor and a builder for many years, and I've been fortunate enough to afford to do an addition of my house. And just the cost to go through getting plans and submitting to the county and the runaround and the, to just to even get a permit, I mean, it was like pulling teeth out of a walrus, but it ended up happening, and everything's been smooth sailing since then. But on the other hand, I have a large barn at my house that I would love to do a rental, A, just to put somebody in a roof and have a little bit of extra income. But to re-go through the process I went through to get a building permit, it's just uh, painstaking to think about trying to do a little 
um, little rental unit in a barn. Just I just don't want to go back through that process. So I think the cost is what needs to be a little bit of maybe addressed through the county because it's it's a lot of money before you even break ground, before you buy your first board. I mean, it's just it's crazy. And I don't think people are going to want to put money out for low-income housing knowing that they're not going to get their money back because everything's just skyrocketing. And I just would like to just touch bases on that about the cost of getting a permit in Mendocino County and what your thoughts are on that. Okay, thanks, thanks, listener, for the call. And um, feel free to send an email to the Board of Supervisors at BOS at MendocinoCounty.org about any issue uh, at all, whether it's housing, fees, any any issue. And um, I'll be happy to try to get back to you on, on, on your particulars. Um, I do need to wrap up the show. We're um, approaching the end of the um, hour here, and you've been listening to um, KZUX, and this is uh, an episode of Citizen U. Um, today's special guests were have been Craig Schlotter, um, City of Ukiah's Community Development Director, and Joanna Jensen, uh, a retired business owner who's a volunteer with the Coast Housing Action Team. And Joanna, um, could you maybe give one more time the web address for the Coast Housing Action Team? Yes, it's hat, H-A-T, MendoCoast.org. And um, Craig, any, any last words? We have about one minute. Uh, thanks, Dan. Uh, I wanted to say how much I appreciate being on the show today and talking about this really uh, key issue that's, you know, really we're all thinking about. And also, um, since the general plan was mentioned, I wanted to make sure I, I give a shout out. Uh, the city of Ukiah is currently updating its general plan, and we'd love to get input from the community. You just need to go to Ukiah2040.com uh, and get on our email list or make a comment. Thank you. This has been a production of KZYX Philo 90.7 FM, KZYZ Willits and Ukiah 91.5 FM, and Fort Bragg at 88.1 FM, Mendocino County Public Broadcasting. You can check out our website at kzyx.org to find more content like this, and consider donating by clicking the red donate button in the upper right corner. Thanks for listening.